Okay, so we're starting this new series about big topics. We've got some big topics we're going to talk about, um, but I'm going to start off by introducing that this morning and not to talk about any of the topics as such, but really to think about... So we, it's, it's difficult with words sometimes, isn't it? We're, gonna, we're kind of saying this is about a progressive theology, but what does progressive theology mean? And the answer is something and nothing. <laughs> um, but it's just to kind of, I guess, have a few thoughts about... It's more about our approach to the topics than it is the topics themselves, just to get us started. So I've got a couple of questions for you this morning. Something to think about serious. Sometimes I ask a question at the beginning of a, top, a, beginning of a, a talk on a Sunday, and they're slightly frivolous. These are questions to genuinely think about because I think it's just to help us to think, how are these topics going to sit with us? As we go through some of these big topics, how are they going to sit with us? So just have a think where you are. How do you feel about change? Right, we all feel different things about change, right? It's different for all of us. But for you, how do you feel about change? What's your response to the idea that your faith might change? How do you respond to that? Again, that will be different for all of us. How do you respond to that idea that your faith might change over time? And how do you feel about the idea that some of the things you've been taught or believed about the Bible could have a different understanding? How does that sit with you? How does that feel for you? So for many years, so I'm going to tell you a little bit of how, how sit, that sits with me. For many years, I decided I didn't have time to think about anything differently. It was much easier to just believe what I've always believed. And in any case, I didn't really have time to think about it properly. So I just carried on. And I'm, I'm guessing that for lots of people, that's what we do, because life happens, doesn't it? And we just carry on. Um, but in more recent years, I have given myself time to think and change. And um, I think for many of us, change can be really scary, can't it? Maybe we've always had the impression that if you have a faith, it needs to be firm. It needs to be unmoving and solid and unchanging. And that's what faith is. And last week, if you were here last week, we heard some stories about people who have deconstructed their faith, for want of a better word. They've decided what they believe. Their faith has changed over, the, over time. And they've decided what they used to believe isn't what they believe anymore. And for some people, that can lead to an end to their faith altogether. And for others, it can lead to renewed faith, a renewed relationship with God, looking through new eyes. And it can be really revitalizing. And I know this isn't for everyone. Many people won't have an old faith to deconstruct, and it's about constructing it for the, you know, from the beginning. Um, but change is important. It's good, and it's wholesome, and it's part of our journey with God. If we always think the same things or the same way, something is wrong, I think. That's not what a living, breathing relationship with God looks like. It doesn't stay the same. So this week, I just want to set a bit of groundwork before we dig into some of the big to topics we're going to look at. Um, and the aim really is to be able to start reconstruction, reconstructing what we believe or constructing it for the first time if we're starting with a blank sheet of paper. 
Um, and the main thing to say this morning, if you don't listen to anything else, is that we're not planning to tell you what you should think. The, the point of this is not for us to stand at the front and say, we know it all, this is what you should think. We are planning to talk about some of the big topics and explore ideas that you may or may not have heard about before. And so we just want to get us all thinking, really, not to say this is set in stone and you must think this. And that's why we're planning some discussion groups as well, because I'm really interested to hear what everybody else thinks uh, as well and to learn from everybody. Um, and I think it's really healthy and good for us to talk about things, too. So the um, things we're going to look at this morning, just ideas, looking about at some of these topics is, is being open, being open to new ideas, how we read the Bible well and take the Bible seriously in that, and also our approach to faith, which for me means also doubt and misery as well. It's not certain, it's not fixed. So if we talk about faith, we also talk about doubt, we also talk about mystery. So when I was beginning to think about this talk, I was reading a C.J. Sansom relaxation, which obviously C.J. Sansom. He's, um, this was my light reading and relaxation, which obviously didn't work because it started me thinking about what I was going to talk about in my talk. So that, that wasn't, it wasn't planned. Um, but so C.J. Sansom, he wrote, he's written a series of books and they're all set in the times of Henry VIII with a main character called Shard Lake, who's a lawyer and also a hunchback. So he's a little bit of an outsider whose cases always get him involved in the politics of his crime. They're always good reads, they're good page turners. Um, but the book I've been reading is called Lamentations and it's got the theme of religious conflict running all the way through it um, based, on, based on history. So the author is a historian. I have not fact-checked anything. So if, this is, if, you're, if you're good at history and you're like, no, that didn't happen, Claire, not my fault. <laughs> um, but anyway, so at the time, relating, changing between traditional Catholic with the Pope's supremacy over the English Church and his oscillating, changing between traditional Catholic practices and moving towards the Protestant ones. So in the book, the big area of contention was whether the bread and wine at communion are tra transformed into the actual body and blood of Jesus or just a symbol of the body and blood of Jesus. And Henry VIII came down on the side of the former. Uh, bit serious. So the second being punishable by death. Bit serious. So so which meant as you can imagine, so in the book, you've got this story of people just not willing to say what they believe. I can't say what I believe. That would be outrageous. And I might die if I say what I believe. Somebody might tell somebody else what I said that I believe. Um, and not just that, you know, you couldn't even say that you believe what Henry VIII thought because he might change his mind and then that might be wrong. So everyone was just in this culture of... I can't say, I just can't say, can't ask my questions in public, I might end up being burnt at the stake, which seems quite radical. Now, I'm not saying that anybody's going to get burnt at the stake <laughs> anymore in, in the UK, at least I hope not. Um, but that's not who we want to be, is it? We don't want to go back to the Henry VIII times of um, being continuously thinking, uh, can I ask this question or not? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've probably all been in situations at some time when we've been in a conversation or maybe a discussion group at church or something and we felt, actually, I'm not sure that if I ask that question or if I say that thing, what reception I'm going to get. 
um, maybe you've been in a discussion group in a church before and somebody said something a bit controversial and you've heard a gasp go around the room and everyone, you could see everyone going, really? Can I say that? I don't think you should say that. And if I'm honest, I've probably been the one gasping sometimes in the past. So um, we've all been there, I think, um, that sometimes we kind of inflict these roles on people and these beliefs on people. You can't question that. You can't say that. Um, or maybe you've been in a situation like this. Can we play the video clip, please? Jesus thing. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's not interesting. It's scary. It's nailing holes through your hands. It's because we're all vile sinners. God made Jesus die. You really think that's true? It's in the Bible, Leslie. You have to believe it, and you hate it. I don't have to believe it, and I think it's beautiful. You gotta believe the Bible, Leslie. Why? Because if you don't believe in the Bible, God will damn it to hell when you die. Wow, Maybelle. Where'd you hear that? That's right, huh, Jess? God damns in hell if you don't believe in the Bible. I think so. Well, I don't think so. I seriously do not think God goes around damning people to hell. He's too busy running all this. So have you ever had a moment like that when somebody says something that challenges an idea or belief that you've always been taught and you just assumed was true and never even thought it was debatable and then somebody comes along and goes, why? That doesn't make sense. And for some of us that can kind of knock the feet under us, can't it? It can be really challenging. Um, but I love about that clip is like girl has she has an encounter with Jesus she's got she sees the beauty and that's the important thing um that's the important thing for her so I don't think God wants us to be afraid of the questions that feel like they take the ground from under us or the ones that make other people in the group gasp and as church we don't want to be afraid of them either so as a church family we want to be a safe place where people can explore be curious ask questions Maybe questions that would then turn into a firm belief. Maybe ideas that we will then change our mind about again and go, actually, I was wrong. Um, but it's important for us to be able to think them through and to continuously rethink how the unchanging God is relevant in our constantly changing world is really important. Um, so it's good for us to be able to challenge any idea that we do or could have Jesus pinned down and know everything about who he is. Faith is a lifelong journey, isn't it? I don't believe the same things that I used to, and that's a good thing. I am not ashamed of that. I don't have a problem with that. I'm pleased that that has happened. And the history of the church is one of change as well. Just look at reformations, changing ideas in churches. Um, which, by the way, if you kind of look at the Henry VIII, the VIII example, they're linked to power and politics, so they're not always good changes, but um, there's a story of the history of the church which is to do with change, and there's a story for us collectively as a church community to change, and there's a story for ourselves to change, to be open to new ideas, to listen to each other, and to be able to disagree well. That's important for us to be able to do. 
But I guess an important part of moving towards a progressive theology or whatever label you want to put on it or reconstructing our faith is taking the Bible seriously. And this means thinking carefully about what the Bible is and how we read it. Now, this isn't a new topic either. People have been talking about this since the Bible was written. In fact, whilst the Bible was being written. And what I'm going to talk about today on this topic isn't particularly controversial. It's heavily based on a book by Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury. So I feel like that's proper solid, you know, not controversial stuff. And yet it's really important for us to get it right. There are so many examples of where the Bible's been used really poorly to justify horrendous actions and discrimination, to argue for black and white thinking about God and just thinking about the Bible in ways that misses God's love and instead excludes people. So there is a passage in the Bible that helps us with this. So 2 Timothy 3 says, All scripture is inspired by God, so that the person of God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. So note, it doesn't say scripture is a handbook where you should get, go to to get all the answers to every question about how to live. Nor does it say God wrote every word of the Bible and gave us the truth in black and white. The Bible is where we expect to hear God speaking, but if we open the Bible, if you were to randomly open the Bible, um, we'll all see that it's not quite as simple as just reading it and getting a black and white answer, is it? Um, we're not likely to open it and read directly, read a statement from God speaking directly to us. We might open the Bible and read a psalm, a song from a human speaking to God or a piece of history, such as a long family tree. And if anybody finds joy in reading long family trees, then you're welcome to those passages. <laughs> Don't do it for me. <laughs> or a story that Jesus told in order to get some of the meaning across to his followers, or a complicated argument from one of Paul's letters. What it won't feel like is a simple set of instructions beginning, God says to you, dot, dot, dot. That's not what we get from the Bible. There's actually very little that's addressed in a way that sounds like a set of instructions. And even then, they're addressed to a particular audience in a particular time. The Bible's made up of lots of different parts or books. It's a library. So there's poetry, law, history, proverbial wisdom, letters. So there's a temptation to try and talk and about it all as being one thing. So it's all law, so we'll take it like an instruction book with a few illustrations around the edges. Or it's all history, so it tells us about how Judaism and Christianity got going. Or it's all poetry, so we don't need to take it so seriously. But the truth is, we think we know what it is, and then we turn a page, and it turns into something else, doesn't it? And this is the challenge of reading the Bible, but it's also the joy and the adventure of it. It's why it's interesting and fascinating. The Bible's messy, it's troubling, it's weird, it's living, it's breathing, it's surprising, it's untidy. It's not a fixed, orderly, certain, absolute book. So um, there's a really helpful way of thinking about the Bible, thinking about it's what God wants us all to hear. So he wants us to hear history and law, but also poetry and song and mystery. And we need to go past the surface meanings in order to be able to say, this is the word of God. This is what God wants me to hear. 
And we need to ask, why is it important to God that I know this? So as an example, if we look at the stories that Jesus told, the parables, they're not literally true. I don't think anybody thinks that the parables are literally true. They didn't happen. But Jesus tells us the stories to get us thinking. He's not condoning the evil judge or the man who puts down people who are poor in the stories. But he is asking us to think, who am I in this story? How do the characters interact? What's my response to the story? How am I different after thinking about it and reflecting on it? And this helps us to think about how we approach the Bible as a whole as well, not focusing on the details in isolation or coming to our conclusions before the whole story's been told, but perhaps thinking of the Bible as a whole sequence of parables of God saying, This is how people have heard me, saw me, responded to me. This is the gift I gave them. This is the response they made. Where are you in this? How do you fit in that? So if we read the Bible and find stories about how Israel responded to God in a shocking or violent way that's hard to accept and we don't have to work on the assumption we don't have to work on the assumption that God likes that response just because it's in the Bible it doesn't mean that God likes it. For example, the stories in the Bible where Israel engages in what we would today called ethnic cleansing, if we read the whole of the Bible, we'll see that that doesn't fit with everything, that this is how people thought they were carrying out God's will at the time. So what do we do? We look at God, we look at ourselves, and ask, where are we in the story? Are we capable, in the light of the Bible itself as a whole, of responding more lovingly or faithfully than ancient Israel? And over history, there have been many things that have been done and justified because it's in the Bible, mostly based on the Old Testament. Things that we as Christians, knowing God's love for everyone, can see are wrong, wrong actions. So what's the relevance for these parts of the Bible? And maybe the things God's talking to us about in these parts of the Bible are about how humans can get things wrong can respond badly as well as responding well. That when God speaks, it isn't always easy to hear because of what human beings are like. Like We're all human, we all get it wrong. And actually we've got lots of examples in the Bible of people getting it wrong. And there's something we can learn from that. So we need to approach the Bible as a parable, a gift from God that imparts truth, joy, wisdom, and also a challenge, an invitation to see ourselves with new eyes. And there's one important difference between the parables of Jesus and seeing the Bible as a whole, as a story. Jesus' parables are simple, contemporary stories speaking into the context of the time. The story of the Bible is our story. It's the story of God's relationships with humankind, our past and our people, how we came into being, how we developed and changed over time and continue to develop and change over time. So where does that leave us? Does it give us a completely postmodern perspective where we can find truth in everything? doesn't matter what we think. Maybe. But when we're looking at the Bible, we can also see that the story points to Jesus. 
So when we're trying to discern between different viewpoints or interpretations, the starting point is to center that around Jesus. And that's why within Oasis, we talk about Christ-centered communities. We don't talk about Bible-centered communities. We talk about Christ-centered communities. So there's a couple of ways of describing what that looks like. So Rowan Williams describes it as, so he says, as a good way of describing how we read the Bible is that we're listening to God through Jesus. Brian Zand says that the Bible, it's a good way of understanding it, is that the Bible is the written word of God that bears witness to the living word of God, who is Jesus. Or we can hear Jesus himself, who in John chapter 5 says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness to me. So Jesus is saying, you're looking for the answers in the Bible, but they're pointing to me, and I'm here, I'm right in front of you. So just a final thought about the Bible, and that is we read it together. We listen, listening to each other, to what people in the past have said about it, to what each other think and say. That might mean through reading books or talking to each other. And it means an understanding of church history and also an understanding of queer theology, liberation theology, feminist theology, or if the word theology isn't helpful, just take that word out. <laughs> um, but what the story, so as an example, what the story of the Exodus means to people who live in deprived communities in Latin America, or who are discriminated against because of their gender as they walk down the street in Hull, is going to be different to what my understanding of it is and building a complete picture of God through reading the Bible together as the diverse community that God brings together is important right we need everybody's perspective as we've all got different answers to the questions we ask when we read the Bible when we're reading and we say how do we find ourselves in this how are we going to be renewed together by this reading we've all got different answers but we all learn from each other as well There's not one person who has the whole answer. So as well as reading the Bible well, we need to learn to listen to each other and read it together too. So, how does this all link into our faith? What is faith? And for me, that's doubt and change and complexity and mystery as well. Um, So our approach to faith, if we're thinking about a progressive theology or whatever other word you want to use to describe where you are. And it feels to me like the best place to start is the role of doubt, because often doubt is perceived as the opposite of faith or damaging to faith. But I would say it's a big and fundamental part of faith. My guess is that if I was to ask everyone in this room if they've ever doubted, that all of us would say that we had In fact, I'm sure that there's some of us who would probably say we feel like we doubt more than we believe sometimes. It's a big part of the journey. I've um, recently been on holiday and my summer reading was a book by Pete Enns called The Sin of Certainty. And Pete Enns is a biblical scholar, so he teaches the Bible at a university in the US. So you would think that he would have a pretty strong faith and certainty about what he believes. He's been studying the Bible for a good number of years. You'd think he he would have some certainty. But his book tells the story of how he used to be certain 
but how that was problematical when he found things that didn't really fit, that those things then made everything else become really hard. And through that, he learns the importance of trust even when we don't know. In fact, the importance of knowing that we don't know. So that knowledge that we don't know everything is actually really, really philosopher who... Um, there's a famous um, philosopher who... Um, who said, or I don't know whether you call him philosopher or theologian, one or the other, said, doubt is called Paul Tillich, said, doubt isn't the opposite of faith, it's an element of faith. Sometimes I think it's my mission to bring faith to the faithless and doubt to the faithful. And um, I think that's an interesting concept, but I think it's good for us all to think, um, yeah, good to think that, that concept through, isn't it? And part of that relationship between faith and doubt is our openness and willingness to ask questions, to challenge ourselves and to challenge what we think, as we talked about at the beginning. And but perhaps the most important part is finding a way of doing this without losing our faith altogether, finding a way to trust God despite not knowing and not understanding. I don't believe God requires us to know and understand. I don't believe God requires us to be brilliant theologians. Um, God wants us to love and trust them. That's ultimately the simplicity of it. So understanding that we don't and won't ever know and understand everything is part of the process. Maybe the sooner we work that out, the easier life will be. In fact, I think the one thing we can say with certainty is that we'll get things wrong we don't know everything that's the only thing that I can say with certainty about my faith is that I know it's wrong I know the stuff that I believe is wrong and I know I'll get it wrong and we know people over the history of the church and in the bible have got it wrong God loves them anyway that's the story of the bible right people got stuff wrong God loves them anyway so we're not looking for blind faith and we're not trying to have all the answers either Faith is about knowing that we don't know everything and also about exploring and wanting to know more. The journey of faith is willing to ask questions, to confront doubts, to be uncomfortable as we sit with difficult questions and things we don't understand. It's being vulnerable in knowing that we don't know. I read somewhere recently someone saying, I'm not a being, I'm a becoming. And that feels right for faith. I'm not a being, I'm a becoming. If we think the same as we thought 10 years ago, we're not growing and there's something wrong. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. We can't ever understand everything about God, or even much more than a small part. Most of what we understand about God, we understand through metaphor. It's the best way for us to understand something that's too big and too different that we can't get our heads around. But that also means it's flawed, as each, each metaphor only shows us a part of the story, only goes so far. So as an example, how do you explain the Trinity? I don't think I've ever heard anybody explain the Trinity without using a metaphor saying it's like water, liquid ice and steam, or it's like the, an egg, it's yolk, white and shell. But the thing is, it's not an egg or water, is it? So that tells us part of the story and helps us to understand, but it doesn't tell us everything. Every metaphor falls down at some point. 
So our faith journeys are all different, but I bet most of them include doubt, questions, uncertainty, as well as mystery, hope, and freedom. For those of you who come on Community Sunday, the Bible study book that we've been using by Brian McLaren is ta- it talks about making the road by walking, that faith isn't a destination or a fixed place, rather it's a road or a path that we work out as we go along and where we have a role in choosing and creating our futures as individuals and communities. We're protagonists in our own stories not just watching as the future comes at us. We grow, change, develop and explore as we walk the road together. So as a church, we're not trying to say there's one set of beliefs and you must believe them. We know there's a range and that we're all on our own journeys as well as being on a journey as community together. As church leader, I am not standing at the front to say, I have all the answers of what you should believe and you should believe them. Rather, I'm saying I don't have all the answers. Actually, I don't have many of the answers. And I want to learn from you as well as we learn from each other and listen to God. The mystery, the mystery of it is part of the beauty of faith, isn't it? Like, what is, why are we in this? Why are we here? It's the mystery and the beauty of faith. It's not just all, you could listen to a podcast, you know, and it's a mystery and the beauty of faith. It's not all about knowledge. Someone once said that no one ever became a Christian through an argument about facts. What wins hearts is an encounter with Jesus and his mystery and beauty. And my guess is that's probably true. What do we want to pass on to the next generation? Is it a set of fixed ideas that they need to believe? Or is it a beautiful mystery to explore and encounter with Jesus? So perhaps the challenge for each of us is not to be frightened by doubts, but to lean into them, to use them to explore what we believe and to learn more about Jesus, to allow us to reflect on his beauty and his love to use our thoughts to develop and grow our trust in God rather than the thoughts being an end in themselves and to grow to enjoy the mystery and the beauty of faith. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the big topics of our faith and this may include some new ways of looking at them. But thinking about a progressive theology isn't about a set of truths we want everyone to agree with, but rather an approach to how we ask questions and develop our understanding. One that's open to new ideas, that takes the Bible seriously, whilst knowing we need to interpret it to understand well. And one that accepts doubts, vulnerability and mystery as part of our approach to faith. And my feeling, when I was preparing this, my feeling is that this is both really, really important and also not important at all. Um, and I think that's, that's because how we see God and what we believe does impact on our relationship with God. Think of the little girl in the clip who thought that God was interested in punishment and in damning us. That affects how we see God, and that's going to affect our relationship with God. So it's really, really important. And yet there's a level where it's not important at all. God loves us, and we can love God through different thoughts and ideas. I don't believe God needs us to be right, 
or that we can be fully right before he loves us or before we can have a relationship with them. God's interested in our trust and faith more than our thoughts and us getting it right. The point of all this is not the information in itself, but it's how it points to Jesus and strengthens our faith. So through all of this, over the next coming weeks, we want to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus is the lens through which we understand what God is like. If the way we see God doesn't look like Jesus, then we've got something wrong. So here's our verse for the next few weeks to help us keep focused, which is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. So if we do nothing else over the coming weeks, as we maybe ask ourselves some big questions, let's remember that Jesus is at the centre of it all, and it's about our relationship and trust with him. And these talks are about helping us to develop and grow in those. They're not a means, they're, they're a means to an end. They're not an end to themselves. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive and interested in our lives. We thank you that we can grow in our trust in you. We thank you that you give us good things. Ask ourselves questions in the coming week. As we look at some big topics, ask ourselves questions in the coming weeks. We pray that you will be in those conversations. You will guide our thoughts and that we will grow in our faith in you. Amen.